next talk is going to be again Dr. Wiles, and he's going to talk now about management of genotype one and four treatment naive treatment experience patients. Okay. Okay. So we have all the background here. We're going to jump into running through some cases and, and doing some, some treatment of patients. So this is a place where you guys will get to use your clickers again as well. Um, so what we're hoping to accomplish here is describe, or have you be able to describe after we're done for treatment options for genotypes one and four, um, be able to list key considerations and reg regimen considerations and, and in some drug interaction, Dr. Kaiser's gonna talk more about drug interaction and co-infection um, as well, and then talk about some patient characteristics that might contribute to both regimen selection and how, how well those regimens um, work. Are there no slides? No, we oh, do not have the slides in the cases yet. Afterwards. Yeah. So I already showed you this, so I won't delay this point again, just listing different regimens and how they're comprised of different individual drugs that work differently to inhibit the virus, with again protease inhibitors, polymerase inhibitors, MS5 inhibitors, um, and MS5 inhibitors. Um, so this kind of um, maybe is a little schematic to kind of list the different Classes, there are some clues in the names of the drugs that you can't remember as to what class they might be based on the ending, the proteas, um, the protease inhibitors. Um, the protease inhibitors generally have a little more limited genotype coverage spectrum, um, particularly semeprevir and paratapravir, really approved anyway for genotypes one and four. Rosoprevir a little bit expanded, um, one, four, and six activity. Um, Actually, paratapravir do have activity against genotype three some in vitro, and rosoprevir was even studied in a phase one study in genotype three. But the dose we use, 100 milligrams, is really not optimal for genotype three, so we don't routinely use it there. Um, they're all very potent. You generally see four log decreases even with monotherapy, um, and then resistance is is a potential issue. So the resistance barrier is low. Um, it's greater in genotype one B, mostly in genotype one A where there's a low barrier resistance and we can't see resistance at all. And even in genotype 1As is where there could be pre-existing or baseline resistant variants that we'll talk about that may impact the efficacy of some of these regimens prior to, without any exposure previously. So these are baseline. And Grisopcare does improve on that resistance barrier a little bit. Um, the NS5A inhibitor is now the biggest class of DAAs, um, all ending in ASVIR um, as a way to tell. Um, NS5A inhibitors, again, genotype, they're more pangenotypic, although that's not necessarily true for all the members of this class. There are some differences here. For instance, lubidosphere really is the genotype 1, 4, 5, and 6 drug. It really does not have much of any appreciable activity against 2 or 3. Whereas cladosphere is really a pangenotypic, and so is velpatosphere, really pangenotypic activity, genotype 1 through 6. So there are some differences. They're all highly potent, again, four or five log decreases even with monotherapy. But again, a low barrier resistance, so if you give it monotherapy, you're gonna see resistance breakthrough relatively rapidly. Um, again, Valpatisphere, the most recent addition, a little bit of a departure in that it's, its resistance profile, I would say, is slightly different than the other members of this group, um, particularly in genotype one. Um, the only resistance mutation we have to worry about is the YNN3. Um, it, it's better against a lot of the other ones 
Sofosphere, the lone nucleotide NS5B polymerase inhibitor, is truly pangenotypic, very potent, and has an extremely high barrier to resistance, as we talked about earlier this morning, um, with clinical resistance to sofosphere really not being an issue, even in treatment experience patients, it's less than 1% that would fail with resistance that would be detectable. And then the software, the lone non-nucleoside, um, I should point out that a lot of these are only available in fixed-dose combinations. Um, for instance, lodiposphere is not a standalone. You can only obtain it as a combination with sofosphere. The same for ambitosphere is co-formulated with paratapavir. Um, so it's only available in color formulation, so it's Elvisphere. And then Desavivir is really only used, even though it's a standalone drug, as um, a component of um, the combination with Paratapavir and Ambitosphere. And there are no other non-nukes really that are in the works that are going to be approved later on, so I think this is really kind of the last we're going to see of this class. There are in NS5B nucleotides, yes. MK3682 is in phase two and phase three trial. Yeah, I thought like Achillion is the work of both folks out there. So Achillion uh, has a nuke. They acquired one of the, the nukes. Um, that's in phase two. I haven't heard too much about Achillion. I think they're working with Janssen, yeah, supposedly, to kind of develop these things. Um, I mean, the only one right now that certainly is approaching or in the phase threes is the MK. Others are going to be further away if they, if they come. I have my doubts about how much there's really going to be a need for much more beyond what we have in phase three now. Um, so let's go into a case 53 year old white female without significant past medical history comes for further evaluation. She's been recently diagnosed with hepatitis C. She was referred by her primary care provider. No significant complaints aside from some moderate fatigue. She doesn't have signs or symptoms of end stage liver disease based on your exam and history. Um, remote history of intravenous drug use, rare alcohol. She does have reflux and takes some omeprazole or prolocytical with the counter. So some labs on her. She's genotype 1B, bar load 2.7 million. Here are her transaminases, 39 and 34. Those are the 0.7 albumin. You can see there, you can see the rest of it. It's 2.67. A FIB4, if you do the calculation, is 1.08. Remember what Ken told us earlier, so it's less uh, low enough that we think she's pretty uh, likely to have F0, F1 disease, and pretty un very unlikely to have cirrhosis or advanced fibrosis and either ultrasound as normal during liver. She's interested in therapy. Um, told by her primary care provider that HCV treatment may not be warranted given her normal LFTs, and this is the point that Ken talked about earlier, but it, it is not, it's not something that's uncommon, you know, by labs, depending particularly if they don't look at the gender or sex of the patient when they're interpreting these, these may be both below what's considered an abnormal uh, ALT and AST level. So first question for all of you is, is would you treat this patient for HCV? And we kind of put a little fine point on it. No, I wouldn't treat her PCP right, is right. Her LFTs are normal. Um, no, I could not get the medications approved. Everybody should be treated or, or her fatigue is an indication or LFT which do you think maybe is most correct, or in, in your opinion, there is some opinion in here? Go ahead. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What about, oh, cats, somebody said this from cats. 
Okay, let's see what we've got here. So, uh, some of you went for, I couldn't get the medication approved, but most of you are on the side of treating. Um, I think that's good, that's kind of where I am. And um, kind of, you know, maybe you're fatigued, your alties are not normal, which is certainly correct. Um, or that everybody, just everybody would have seizures treated. Not really a specific right answer here. So now, if, if you were to treat her, what additional testing or information would be needed? Again, some of this is kind of your interpretation of your insurance restrictions wherever you're practicing. But just to remember, she's both genome type 1B, treatment naive, with no evidence of advanced liver disease or end-stage liver disease, certainly in a low FIB4 score. So um, what potential things would you want to get? Would you get ns 5 a graft testing? Would you do some additional fibrosis staging, maybe with transient elastography? Um, you'd want more specifics on her omeprazole use. Um, nothing I have on, I need to treat her, or some combinations of the above. Okay, let's see what else. So some of you want specifics on her omeprazole use. Some say nothing I have on, I need to treat her, and then others want two and three, which are fibrosis and specific. <coughs> so that's kind of where I would agree. Those would be the two things I would particularly highlight anyway, is I wanted to know. Or need to get a little bit more fibrosis station, probably to access medicines. And then some specifics on meprazole, again, depending on what you're going to use. So this is kind of a busy slide with lots of different stuff going on. Um, I tried to modify it a bit. I think I'm just going to point out a couple things, because um, again, Jen's going to talk a little bit more about drug interactions too, but I think amiodarone is an important one to be aware of, right? Specifically with the interaction, just really seems to be specific to sofosbuvir. It's been kind of reported usually in combination because we use combination with other things, but it really seems to be a soft amiodarone interaction that can result in profound bradycardia very rapidly within the first day of co-administration with amiodarone. And obviously, as you know, amiodarone has a very long half-life, so if you're going to alter something, you've got to wait a long time before you can really come in and use soft. So that's a big one. Um, inducers, you know, are, can be a problem. Potent CYP and other PG, PG, PGP inducers are a problem. But let's come down to um, talking about acid-reducing agents or go back up. The main consideration here is with liposphere uh, and velpatosphere, where um, a low gastric pH is required for optimal absorption of these medications. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about those, because that's probably clinically the most frequent one you're going to run into, aside from HIV antiretrovirals, again, which Shen is going to talk much more about in co-infected patients. So this was uh, an analysis from Target that Nora Turow presented at ASLD um, last year, or the year before, now, uh, or no, last year, that um, kind of first raised the consideration. Now, in the registrational trials, PPI use was prohibited in studies of soft lodiposphere. Um, based on that gastric acid interaction. But here, we can see patients who were not on the PPI baseline had a, a odds ratio favoring um, SVR. So they were more likely to have SVR than those who were on a PPI baseline. It was about a 5% difference, um, as you can see here, 4 to 5% in overall SVR rate by PPI use. Now, to add to the controversy, though, there was that the European liver meeting, the TRIO group, which is another kind of pharmacy refill-based cohort group, looked at this as well and did not find a signal for PPI use in their overall cohort. In other words, they didn't find PPIs associated with a low response rate to um, uh, sofosbuvir lodiposphere. I will point out though they did see it in a 
uh, univariate analysis in patients that were on high dose PPI, specifically taking PPIs twice a day. So I think there's still a signal here, even though in the overall analysis it was not a significant effect on SVR rates. Um, and there was another um, study from Canada actually that looked at this as well that did not find an association. But I think there's kind of the biologic plausibility. We know the mechanisms of absorption, so that makes sense. And then um, there are signals even in this analysis which didn't find an overall result for PPI interaction. And this is what's in the package inserts with these two different um, uh, NS5A inhibitors. So if you do have a patient on PPIs, the recommended is 20 milligrams a day of omeprazole as the max dose or the equivalent if you're talking about another PPI. And then if you need to dose it, the, the easiest way the way it's recommended is to have them simultaneously take their PPI and along with their ACD medication. Of course, Vilpatosphere is different to make it more complex. Overall, it's not recommended actually. It's kind of a little different language that if you need to, you can try it, but it's not recommended, so it's a little different. Um, and then here, they recommend taking soft bellow food and taking it four hours before you get the PPI. So it's a little more complex with the same max dose equivalent. Um, and then for H2 blockers and antacids, there's also considerations. And this is something um, that Lucas Hill, one of our pharmacists that works in um, uh, our HCV clinic, looked up for us and put together um, kind of the equivalents when you're trying to compare across different PPIs um, to, so you know what equivalent dosing might be. I don't have that at the top of, at the tip of my tongue anyway. So you find out she, when you ask her about over-the-counters, and that's always a good practice anyway, any over-the-counter things, Ken mentioned the vitamin A before, and I've seen cases of hepatotoxicity from vitamin A in our co-infection clinic, um, to ask them about any over-the-counter medications. So she was taking the Meprazole 20 BID pretty regularly. Um, so you get a transient elastography, and this may be a case where you tell your MA or your nurse doing it to, to get you a certain number. Um, but she had a 7.8 KPA, um, which based on the nomograms and, and approval, at least in California with Medi-Cal's would be 7.5 is generally what they're gonna ask you for in California um, for our managed care Medi-Cal program. So she squeaked by based on our fiber scan. You also remember to send other serologies for HIV, hepatitis A and B, and, and would vaccinate if she needed like her hepatitis A. So now you think we can probably get medications covered. So she's a 1B um, with maybe F2 by her transient elastography, treatment naive. So what would you treat her with? Um, so what are some of your options here? So again, genotype 1B, 2.7 million bar load, um, F2 estimated. <clears throat> These are your choices. Would you try to go for a short eight weeks of lodipasphere soft 12? And then you can see how the spheres off here. You have some options or the paratapavir um, visitor based options, or maybe the newest comer, Softbell, um, Padisphere, and here we give you a 12 week option. So go ahead and choose. Okay. So a lot of you are going for the, the shortened or truncated course, 40%. <coughs> Um, along with a fair number a quarter going with Elvisphere Is this some of this kind of colored by what you know your local insurance will approve for you, or is this just kind of what your preference would be? Mm -hmm. Preference? Okay, good. So, um, so I said, said here, if you pick one, two, or seven, so one or two, so one of the Lodipsphere, Sphosphere, or Softbell, 
Um, oops. What would you do with a PPI? So I don't think we have specific answers here, but would any of you, what would you have done? So just on 20 BID, what's your usual practice right now if you're gonna, especially if you're gonna give LDV soft and truncate to eight weeks? It would make me a little nervous, I would say. So tell me what some of your practices are for managing PPIs. Bring it off You'd stop it completely? Try. Try to, okay. And we said she, GERD, I mean, you'd have to talk to patients, see how bad her symptoms are, what kind of stuff she got, what kind of symptoms she has, um, to see whether she'd be willing to do that, okay? That's kind of our practice. If we don't feel they have a strong indication, they kind of ended up on a PPI a lot of times, and they just stayed on it. We do try to get them off. That would be our first approach as well. Ken, are you generally stopping them if you can? I think our practice is pretty similar to yours, but uh, the truth is that most patients that have been on PPI for a while get terrible rebound. I mean, we've had patients literally say, like, I, I would rather have Hep C than heartburn. <laughs> and uh, so we tend to try to get them to stop a little bit and then go back to the methadone like, 20 and see what we can do. You'd alter your yeah, you one B, you one B, so. yeah, I I kind of agree with you. I mean, for one B's, we didn't really get into the data yet, we will, but you know that's where those regimens like Elvis or PI regimen based regimens in general really seem to do very well, have very high cure rates, kind of independent of a lot of patient characteristics. The thing is, to bring up is that we don't know about the so lot of eight weeks. I know this, this I try not to do any. You didn't have a choice. I didn't have a chance because by the time I healed, it was too was already off. But I don't feel, because the thing is that again, most all my patients are people of color, so most of them are co-infected, yeah. most of them are black. So. Well, those are good points. So one, I'm trying to remember now what's in here, uh, if I have any, but um, any of the data, the real world data has kind of come up with eight weeks. But I, I think for co-infected, yes, we, I would not personally use eight weeks either. Um, you know. In that group, it's not really been formally studied. There's one German cohort who's reported a few patients, about 26 that were treated with eight weeks that were co-infected, it looked okay, but that's about all we have. So I agree with you, I wouldn't do it with co-infection. And then patient with, with other negative predictors is kind of what you're getting to, like African-Americans, things like that. Um, I think we're sometimes a little hesitant too as well. Most of the times we've used it is when the insurance has said we're approving eight weeks. Um, you know, in her, she's 1B and, and, and she's a woman. Um, and in the sub-analyses, women did very well with the eight-week studies. They actually, um, even regardless of the viral load cutoff, did very well with eight weeks in the ion study. But. So just briefly going to run through some of the indications. For some of these regimens, we'll talk a little bit more about the data. So here's 
the soft, soft within the sphere FDA approved indication, right? Treatment naive with or without cirrhosis is 12 weeks, so we're kind of highlighting where our patients fit in right now. And the comparable study is IM1, where in non-cirrhotics, you can get SVR rate Here's the eight-week consideration, right? So they're non-cirrhotic patients who are treatment naive. An epiviral cutoff was less than six million, right? But that was based on the post hoc FDA analysis, really, or the analysis the FDA requested. Um, it is post hoc, and actually, if you look at the Barlow strata, which we looked at, there really is no significant difference between any of those strata. That was picked out because at below six million, the relapse rates, the virologic relapse rates, became very similar between the eight and the 12-week. And this is the, the, the overall data. Um, this is from the IM3 study. You can see in the overall study, there was no statistically significant difference between eight weeks with or without rotavirin and 12 weeks. So the primary endpoint was kind of met. There was non-inferiority or no significant difference. Um, but um, relapses, viral relapses were higher in the shorter duration arms, more than 1% in 12-week arms. But then there has been accumulating data. This is just a little bit of it from HCV target, looking at eight versus 12 weeks, and I will say, um, there was an analysis of multiple different cohorts presented easel as well, where eight weeks looks to do very well in a lot of these real cohorts. Most of the patients meet the guideline guidance for what would be recommended to select the patient for eight weeks, but not universally in some of these cohorts. There are some patients that sneak in that have a higher viral load or something like that. And you do have to be cognizant of what your viral load testing is, whether it's the Roche-Cobos system and what specific type versus an Abbott assay, because those are not comparable. So six million on the Roche-Cobos, which is what um, I think was the high-through-pure system that was used in the studies, is not equivalent to an added viral load assay. Um, so if you have a different viral load, you can't use 6 million. So that's important to, to recognize as well. <coughs> Here's the post-hoc analysis, but I won't belabor this anymore. Again, looking at less than 6 million, you had very similar relapse rates then. So what if you would have selected the, the prod regimen or paratapir or Um So for a genotype 1A without cirrhosis, right, um, this is this patient with 1B, but for 1As, you need to use rotavirin for 1Bs. You just use the prod regimen without cirrhosis for 12 weeks. Um, and again, very high SPR rates in 1Bs with this PI-based regimen. This is some of the data specifically looking at the role of rotavirin in 1A, right? And when, in genotype 1As, if you omit the rotavirin, you do see about a 7% decrement in in response rates. Is that due to baseline RAVs in 1A? We don't have the definitive data yet, um, but that, that may be part of the reason. So in one in 1As, you need to use rotavirin with this regimen anytime you use it. In 1Bs, you don't need to use rotavirin anytime you use it. So what about Grisophobia elvis here? We talked a little bit about this. So just in the treatment naive patients. So again, for our patients, she was a 1B treatment naive. It's just 12 weeks um, with very high SVR rates, uh, again, approaching 100% almost, and no need for rock barn and no consideration of baseline resistance testing. In contrast, genotype 1A patients, um, or the well, this is treatment experience here, but um, you do need to use rock barn in 1A patients um, potentially if based on resistance testing, and we'll talk about that. Here's just a treatment naive study. Um, so looking at 12 weeks, it was placebo controlled with deferred treatment for the placebo arms. The makeup of the population, about 20% were cirrhotic. They did have other genotypes in there, but so few patients, so genotypes 
more than 60, it's hard to say much about those patient populations. There are some combined analyses of genotype 4 that help guide therapy a little bit better. Um, and this is the overall treatment efficacy, 95%. But again, you can see this differentiation between 1As and 1Bs. 92% with 12 weeks in 1Bs versus 99% in, in sorry, in 92% 1As, 99% 1Bs. Um, this regimen in particular seems to always do very well in cirrhotics. When you look at the cirrhotic subgroup in almost all the studies done, it, it does very, it performs very well in cirrhotics. Um, <clears throat> something to kind of, I don't know, I keep in the back of my mind anyway. And you can see almost all the virologic failures were in genotype 1A. And again, we'll come back to this. A lot of this seems to be due to the presence of baseline resistance. Um, and so we'll talk more about that in the next case. And then the most recently approved softball here. Um, again, for genotype 1 now, this is a pan-genotypic regimen. It really doesn't matter, treatment naive or treatment experience, with or without cirrhosis, it's 12 weeks. Um, and we'll show you some of the ASPR1 data, but look very good in geo both genotype 1A and 1B, and regardless of prior treatment or cirrhosis status. And so this is the data, the top line data from ASPR1. Again, this study enrolled genotypes 1, 2, 4, 5, and 6. I took the 2s out because Ken's going to talk about 2 and 3. But this is overall, you can see, excellent results, essentially approaching 100% for any group. Um, there were four failures here, but there was only one virologic failure in genotype 1A and one virologic failure in genotype 1B. The rest of the 1A failures were lost to follow-up, didn't come back, didn't have SVR12 time points. But only two virologic failures in genotype 1, one 1A and one 1B. They're right over here, their characteristics. They did have some baseline um, RABs. But overall, patients with baseline RAB, 99% SVR, so really no signal that resistance, baseline resistance makes a difference this regimen with at least genotypes 1, 2, 4, 5, and 6. So what if she were treatment experience but now had cirrhotic? Would the regimen you would pick change? So let's call her still a 1B um, patient, but she's treatment experienced and cirrhotic with a low viral load. Um, so these are kind of the options. You can kind of read through them here for a second. I won't read them, and then we'll start to counter. So it looks like in a, a more treatment experience cirrhotic patient, a lot of you are going to kind of soft belt, kind of makes your life easy, right? Especially for a genotype 1 patient. You just use 12 weeks. You still don't need to use rogavirin, which is an advantage. And you're 12 weeks. So I think that's certainly reasonable. Um, you guys kind of honed in on the key points that if you're both treatment experienced and cirrhotic with LDV soft, if you were going to use it, you should add rogavirin. So that makes that a little less potable in terms of a regimen choice. And then, you know, she is a 1B, so this is still the appropriate regimen, and we'll go through that again. You wouldn't need to extend her at rock barn because she's a 1B, even though she's treatment experienced and cirrhotic. But again, it's that issue where your PI-based therapies, um, this would be perfectly reasonable too, just 12 weeks without rock barn and a 1B treatment experienced cirrhotic. Not decompensated. The salt bell doesn't have an eight-week option. It does not. It was studied for eight weeks in phase two, and didn't do so well, so it was not pursued. So that's why the, the FDA never followed up. Right, it wasn't studied in phase three. There was no phase three trial with eight weeks. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. 
Okay, so um, here's just the additional indications in genotype one patients. Um, so again, treatment experience without cirrhosis, 12 weeks. Um, now you'll see that 94% SPR rate, and you know that doesn't seem bad, but there's a little bit there. And there's a recent publication about baseline RAS, and it looks like in treatment experience patients without cirrhosis, those baseline MS5A resistant variants do impact it. So this is a place where I think there's room for clinical judgment. You might consider doing some different things if you did baseline resistance testing, at least in one age patients. But we can talk more about that. And then treatment experience with cirrhosis, your options are 12 weeks with RIVAR 24, based on a combination of the IM2 in the serious study was a French study that looked at that. If you omitted the rod environment, you're lower. If you just do 12 weeks without rod, you're down to 86%. Um, and here's the ion 2 study again. So rod wiring adds a slight bit, but you do see those lower results with 12 weeks without, without rod wiring here. And all the biologic relapses in ion 2 were in the uh, shorter arms, the 12-week arms. So this is just um, showing you the actual data from the serious study. So this was a, an open question. This study really changed practice, I think. Um, <clears throat> so it compared soft with placebo ribavirin for 24 weeks with an initial placebo phase and then just 12 weeks of soft with plus ribavirin. These were all heavily treatment experienced cirrhotic patients. They had actually had peg ribavirin plus and then subsequently treated almost all of them with the PI plus peg ribavirin. So it was a heavily treatment experienced group and all again cirrhotic patients. And here are the overall results showing essentially equivalent SVR rates with either 12 weeks plus rod bar or 24 weeks, 96 and 97%. And it was really based on this study that the initial guideline recommendations had that 12 week plus rod bar option uh, in there. And so then we, I already talked about this, but with the, the prod regimen in a genotype 1B patient, it really doesn't matter about cirrhosis status or treatment experience, it's 12 weeks on um, no rod bar. And here's the turquoise three study that really cemented that for the cirrhotic patients um, that were treatment experience without ribavirin. And then again, prosopical elbosphere, again, in 1B, it really doesn't matter whether they're treatment naive or previous treatment experience, it's 12 weeks in our patient. It's the 1As um, where sometimes you get, now if they have protease inhibitor experience, there was only one study, the C salvage study, so that's why even for 1Bs, this ribavirin works its way in because that was the only study. Whether that's necessary or not, I don't think we really know. And then here is um, the sea uh, edge treatment experience study, which looked at prosopovir elbosphere in treatment experience patients. It was kind of a little bit of a complex study in that there were four arms, two 12 week arms with and without ribavirin, and two 16 weeks arms with and without ribavirin. Here's the distribution in the different arms. Um, you can see slightly lower 1A patients in the 16-week arm compared to the others. Um, and then about a third were cirrhotic. Um, and then they were all treatment experienced, but null or partial are patients who did not reach undetectable levels with their prior treatment. Probably a little harder to treat than a relapsed population. Overall response rates you can see, based on what they got, 12, 12 with RIVA, 16, or 16 with RIVA. Um, you know, coming up to 97% at 16 plus RIVA, and no biologic failures with the longest duration in ribavirin. Um, if you look at null cirrhotics um, and how they did, these are the SVR rates in null cirrhotics, um, kind of the toughest of the tough, so to speak. And again, only 10 patients, but all of them were cured in the 16-week plus ribavirin arm. Now, 
Now this is some of the data suggesting that you only need 12 weeks for genotype 1B and you don't need monovirin. Um, SVR rate was 100% in 34 treatment experience one patients who got 12 weeks um, in the CS treatment experience study. And if you kind of look at factors um, that may be impact response, um, genotype 1B, 98%, um, so it did very well. And in a, kind of a multivariate uh, analysis, things that depend, predicted treatment response and treatment experience populations were these things. So treatment duration, presence of baseline RAS, but that effect is entirely within genotype 1A. And then 1B is an odds ratio three times more likely to achieve SVR their treatment experience in 1B with this regimen. Okay, our second case, 59-year-old um, gentleman, he has diabetes, hypertension, and genotype 1A HCV. Was previously treated with pegrigoviron and had a null response. Um, so his viral load didn't drop by two logs during therapy. And in 2011, he had stage five out of six. So this was a modified ISHAC, so it was stage five out of six. Um, which is kind of incomplete cirrhosis. If you collapse that down with metavir, as Ken was talking about, it would just be metavir stage four. Um, no history of hepatic decompensation. Um, he does have a history of heavy alcohol that's decreased that significantly since 2009. These are his labs. Um, so a couple things, and maybe you're subtle, but you notice his AST is now higher than his ALT, so Ken mentioned that little switch. Um, albumin is okay, 3.7, T-Billy 0.9. Um, INR11, platelets are down a little bit at 127. What additional testing is needed in a cirrhotic patient? So what other things should you be doing in a cirrhotic patient kind of before you, you start their HCV treatment or as you're getting ready for HCV treatment? So you can see here, HCC screening with AFP, HCC screening with imaging, transient elastography, EGD, and, or some combination. send them to your hepatologist to be evaluated for an EGD and varices. And this, you know, depends on the case, and you can depend. I would say probably in this case you don't need transient elastography. Sometimes we'll get it because we're kind of curious. We just want to know what the number is, but I don't think there's much question in this patient. He already had a biopsy that showed uh, cirrhosis, so uh, not a real reason to do elastography again. So 1A, treatment experience, cirrhotic, um, compensated as far as we've presented or can show you right now. So what would you use to treat this patient? Um, got some options here. Um, you can kind of read through them for a second before I start uh, the counter. Okay, go ahead and make a choice. Okay, sorry. So, Some of you would do, so 6% would do resistance testing before. Okay. 
So resistance testing is available. Um, there are more than just these two. I mean, major ones that are available are going to be through Lab or Quest. They are slightly different in that one is a deep sequencing or next generation sequencing assay, but they report at a 10% level to you. The other is a what we call population sequencing based assay or Sanger sequencing. Um, and they're available for genotype one. You have to specify or tell them if it's 1A or 1B um, or genotype three. Um, so this patient could certainly get resistance testing. Um, so this is actually uh, shows a Q30. The, the report actually has changed some, and now it's a possible resistance, and it's no longer red, it would be blue. Um, and I think that was a good change. Oh, I had that in here. But, oh, there we go. Because um, as you'll see, if, and I think all, most of you already know, just because you have NS5A resistance does not mean you're not going to use, not mean you're not going to use an NS5A inhibitor. Um, or it means you will probably use an NS5A inhibitor. That's better. Um, you may just change your treatment approach in terms of duration or ribavirin usage, but again, most of our interferon free regimens have an NSFA inhibitor in them. You're not going to go completely away from it. But there are some concerns about cross resistance with NS5A inhibitors. These are the big four you're worried about in 1A. Interestingly, in 1B, even though you can see resistant variants, you can see them as frequently or more so in, in, than 1A, they don't tend to clinically have much of an impact. So we don't really worry about it very much, particularly not in the treatment. DAA naive genotype 1B patient. It's really in 1As, um, and it's really these four different variants or at this, these four different positions that we worry about um, clinical impacts of baseline resistance. So you decided to do it, um, and you do sequencing, and he has an L31M, which is uh, the interpretation is possible resistance to the NS5 inhibitors, Elvisphere, Lipsphere, Platysphere, and Elpatysphere, actually. But 31N does cause a moderate bullshit. So now what would you do? You have a treatment experience, cirrhotic, um, null responder, compensated cirrhosis that also has an L31N, so has some baseline NS5A resistance. Um, would you alter your treatment approach at all? So these are the options. Particularly in L31, it doesn't cause high fold change to the belt atmosphere necessarily. 
that probably is what I go to. In addition to, we found a lot of our insurance will kind of steer us that way in some of these situations. Um, I, I don't think this is wrong, and that's kind of what my gut would tell me probably is the optimal thing to do if you were going to try that, but it's, we've even had the 24 weeks approved, but had the insurer tell us we can't have a viral virus in these situations. Um, uh, but we've had, been able to argue, you know, they come back and say, we want 12 plus rod. We say, no, we want 24. These are a little harder to treat. They've got this baseline rad, and we want rod iron. Again, they, they would let us go to 24, but wouldn't give us rod Sure. So the question was, what if they have some of the other <coughs> So the Y93 is what I guess I would most worry about. There's really no data to suggest or to tell us that it needs to necessarily be managed any differently than if it was an L31M. I think it would concern me a little bit more because at least in vitro, even with Belpatisphere, it causes a hundredfold shift in loss. But when they looked at the data from Astral 1, which would have had some treatment experience cirrhotics that that were compensated, there didn't appear to be an effect. Um, I would think about whether I should add round barn and do soft belt plus rod, but there's no data to say that would help at all. Well, so in, in, a, in, in a patient who hasn't gone through NS5A inhibitor treatment before, they're probably fairly unlikely to have those, or they'd be unlikely to be linked. Um, the only data suggests that multiple NS5A RAPs is worse is from retreatment patients who have failed the AA therapy. But I would, I guess I would throw, the, in that category, I'd go as long as I can't add rock farm with whatever regimen I could get, probably. Would you check the QAK if you're going to use a GMO? Um, I'm not too enamored with doing that. Um, it is in the guidelines as you get to, like, really with DA-treated experienced patients, right? They recommend checking QAK as well and kind of probably shying away from Smepavir if you did that. Right, there's no data with 24 weeks of soft sim um, that a Q80K has any impact? It was only the 12. Oh, Grisoprevir, the Q80K really does not affect Grisoprevir. Um, and Paratapravir, even, it, it causes a very small fold shift, like three or four fold. So I wouldn't worry about it with these. It would just be if you said, oh, I'm going to go to the soft center or something. So I was a soft valve person. Um, and I want, can you back up a little bit and talk about why you would have checked for NS5A resistance in the first place? Well, mostly in a 1A, we would kind of know, we would, soft bell would not be what we would generally be offered by most of the Medi-Cal insurances. So kind of, we just do it as a team. We kind of grab everything we think we're going to need based on what we anticipate they're most likely to approve for us. But I, I don't think, if I knew I could get soft bell, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't have done baseline So this just runs through the FDA approved indications for all these. You know, the point being with any genotype 1A patient, the recommendation is going to be baseline rat testing. And it's based on some of this data. So this was looking at patients with baseline rat. So one point I think of the study that Ira presented was very nice, was really highlighting the fact that really population sequencing or at least at uh, you know 20% prevalence is what you need to be looking at. The data, any data that's presented down to 1% with RAS is probably giving you a lot of extraneous information that doesn't impact clinical response. But if you look at the 5% that had Elvisphere RAS at the population level, there was a significant drop off in their SVR rate, went from 98% without RAS to 58%. Um, so 40% drop 
small numbers of patients, only 5% of the population that had Elvisphere rapid by population sequencing, but a large effect. And I think it was this data, um, which also is even a larger magnitude, but smaller numbers of patients in treatment experience, combined with this combined analysis that showed baseline RABs were, were really the treatment predictor, the predictor of response in genotype 1A patients. Baseline viral load, which is kind of a surrogate, the higher baseline viral load, the more likely you are to have RABs. Um, but in multivariate analysis, these were the two things that came out. Not cirrhosis, not co-infection, um, and nothing like that. So it was these two things that really, I think, made the FDA decide to recommend baseline RAP testing. So soft liposphere, these are just the recommendations. Again, you guys already all picked up on this. Treatment experience with cirrhosis, the options are 12 plus RAP or 24. <coughs> and this is the integrated analysis that Rod's already published. Um, just showing you that with 12 weeks in a treatment experience, um, cirrhotic patient, 12 weeks of LDV soft without RAP iron had a lower SVR rate at 90% than the rod iron containing or longer treatment durations. So the issue of baseline RABs with soft LDV, this was data that was presented again. It's been published kind of in a different form now. It was presented um, some and then now published in hepatology. Uh, or no, gastroenterology in 2016, but this was, I think, very instructive because it presented the data by the recommended treatment approaches for the groups, right? And so you look, in treatment-naive patients, it's really hard to say that there's any impact of baseline NS5A resistance to lipidosphere in, in any group. And, but when you get over to treatment experience, in every group, you see about a 9 to, you know, 10% drop-off in response rates if they have baseline resistance. And this was an assay done at a 1% cutoff in a generous inclusion with lipsphere RAPs. So um, if you looked at, picked and choose some key ones and only looked at a 20% cutoff, you probably find a more profound difference. You have smaller numbers of patients. Um, but so these are populations, at least in my mind, I think about should I be doing baseline NS5A resistance testing if I'm going to use soft liposphere in a treatment experience population. The million dollar question is, well, if you do that and you find RAPs, how do you change your treatment approach? And the problem is there's no studies to really guide that approach. You can look in the companion study, the initial registrational studies where there were patients allocated to other arms and other treatment regimens and try to figure it out, but um, that's where it kind of falls down to start doing testing. It's not clear what you should do when you get those results. Um, here's the prog regimen and the recommendations. I'm not going to run through this in detail. Um, at least when rapamiron is used, there have been some studies. Mark Sokowski presented one at Freud that shows it seems like baseline NS5A RAPs specifically don't impact response in genotype 1A when rivalirin is used. Now the question is, could you omit rivalirin if you did baseline testing and didn't have RAPs? Um, and here's the cirrhotic studies in turquoise with the prod regimen, just showing that the 12-week arm did not perform very well, particularly in 1A and all cirrhotics, which is why we use 24 um, in genotype 1A cirrhotics. And here's soft sim. We had a question about it again. I, we were talking before, I don't think this is really practically used at all um, in a, in a non-DAA exposed certain population. Soft is just not really um, available through insurance very often, and um, there's still some questions with this regimen. So you guys kind of already asked this, uh, would, you, would you, well, we, I gave the position where there were RABs, so would you use something different if they didn't have RABs? Um, so a genotype 1A without RABs, um, what would your treatment of preference be? Cirrhotic, but 1A without wraps. 
So many more now without RABS going through just the 12 weeks without the surgery software. Um, I don't really talk about decompensated cirrhotics, but it's just an important point to bring up somewhere. Um, and I think Ken may touch on it too in June types two and three, right? If you have a decompensated cirrhotic, you've got to think of those as a different patient population. Probably not going to be treating many of those anyway. Hopefully they're in a transplant center or hepatologists or helping manage those or co-manage them with you. But just remember, any of the PI-based regimens you really should not use in decompensated cirrhotics, okay? There's potential for accumulation of the protease inhibitor and potential for hepatotoxicity. Um, so that's just a point to remember. So we have a last case genotype 4. Let me try to go through this really quickly. Um, so this is an Egyptian man with genotype 4, no other medical problems. He's not sure about his risk factors or how he happened to get this, um, but doesn't have a history of injection drug use and is not NSM. Did have a lot of surgeries, probably through blood transfusion if they were in Egypt. So he doesn't have evidence of cirrhosis. This is his viral load. He was treated with PEG and RIVA and relapse after therapy. Um, so which of these regimens would not be recommended for a genotype 4 patient at this point in time? Sophosphere for 12 weeks, remember he's, he's treatment experience with a relapser, genotype 4, non-serotic. Soft belt, soft ribavirin for 24 weeks, um, paratactor, rotomidor, and bidisphere, omitting the disophagin and ribavirin for 12 weeks, are all are approved and equally recommended in the guidelines. And which of these is not by the other, I Okay, good. So over half of you picked out one, kind of the soft robot for 24 weeks would not be optimal and is not no longer recommended or not recommended in this population. This is just a combined analysis um, looking at some different regimens. So treatment naive for 24 weeks, he did okay. Um, but you know, one, the, the, the 2D regimen is sometimes called ambidistor paratactor um, with robot does very well in genotype four. And then I threw in soft bell over here has looked excellent for genotype 4 from the ASTRO-1 study, 116 patients, everybody got an SVR, so 100% SVR rate with 12 weeks. Um, then Elvisphere Rosoprier is also um, approved for genotype 4. The, the dosing and duration of RAVCARN uses is a little different in genotype 4, so it's not based on RAV testing, it's based on their treatment experience. And there you're talking about treatment naive or relapsers or one group versus treatment experience. Um, and based on that, you're deciding um, on your treatment approach for these patients. Um, just as it's broken down here, treatment naive versus treatment experience. And these are the actual ASLD recommendations or endorsed. So again, soft LDB, um, the, the prod regimen or the pro, pro regimen, the D should be on there. There is no disophagir. And then again, Elvis are a little different, a departure from genotype one, where now you're talking about what's their treatment experience history. So relapsers, versus null responders, um, and there, that's the differentiator between 16 weeks plus ribavirin and 12 weeks. And then again, it's all fell away for other genotypes, it's 12 weeks, no ribavirin across the board. Okay, questions in one four. Okay, the true experience case there, and I heard a little bit about the, uh, if they were, if they already, they already went through with the AA,
kind of multiple, it, it, there's not really a box recommendation. Right. The box recommendation just says you should probably do resistance testing. They're non-serotic, you probably should just wait. Um, if you feel like you need to treat immediately, then it kind of goes through in, in the text, a, a discussion of the limited data there is and what you might choose. Yeah, it's like a, a, a pre-DAA plus coronavirus versus 2012 weeks versus uh, 2DAA plus coronavirus 24 weeks. Yeah, so there's a couple, that, there are these small studies that have looked at sofosbuvir plus elvisvirozofovir and sofosbuvir yeah. plus prod. Right. Um, in small studies, the, the soft plus elvisvirozofovir was actually a retreatment of patients who had failed in short course, short course therapy with that regimen. Looked very good when they were retreating because they had RADs of essentially 100%, but that's a little different patient population because they probably would not have failed if you gave them a standard you know, therapy. The, the other group, the corpse study, that looked at soft plus the prod regimen. Though most of those did just fail previously like prod or something else, they also did very well. Um, SPR rates well above 95% for most groups. So if you can get that approved, um, that's probably your most efficacious shot versus just doing, they failed like soft with dipsphere 12 weeks, they failed, had some RAVs, some data suggests you may have a pretty reasonable response rate, probably 90% or so, if you just gave the same thing and go 24 weeks with ribavirin or maybe switch to soft L, 24 weeks post ribo, if you can get it approved. Yeah, with the insurance companies, a soft L, 12 weeks with ribavirin is what they approved. He said no, so went back. GYM patients um, that you may experience with compensated cirrhosis, let's say that you're just not comfortable. You have, you have go with the long, um, the, uh, the soft, uh, soft, well, uh, soft lead uh, 24 weeks with the right virus. I don't start at 16. 